rootslandnation.com Wear your culture. 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 Yo, Henry, what's up, bro? Can I beg your lift down the road? Hey, too tall man. Sure, hop on in. I was just getting out of here. Sure, where you going? Sea View Gardens. Sea View Gardens, bro. Really? Oh, man, you can make me drive to the hood now? Yo, man, don't worry. You're rolling with too tall. No one's gonna bother you. All right, don't take too long. All right, hop on in. No worry yourself as long as it well, takes. I'm not worried. You're safe, man. You're safe. Uh, I look out for can you. Can you find a girl who lives uptown like Snow, man? Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica. From a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. So this is what it all came down to? What I worked so hard for? The reason I built an infrastructure? So I could drive Snow's bodyguard down to one of Kingston's most dangerous lanes and wait around while he hooks up with some girl he met at a club? And when I wasn't chauffeuring around too tall, I was nothing more than a gopher, running errands for Snow and Entourage. It was like high school. The guy with the car who could make beer and ganja runs and drop home groupies at the end of a night of partying? Well, that part wasn't like high school. As one could imagine, from the very beginning of Snow's sojourn on the island, the apartment at Mixing Lab Studios was a den of debauchery, a boozy base camp that was a cross between a Notre Dame frat house and an inner-city strip club with a 24-hour happy hour all run around the whims and wants of a 20-something platinum-selling recording artist who was young, good-looking, rich, and inebriated, surrounded by yes-men, handlers, and entourage members that, in my opinion, didn't have Snow's best interest at heart, yet were all enjoying the ride just the same. As for me, I was still hanging around, waiting for my chance to write or produce a song on Snow's album but my hopes were gradually fading away. It's not like I took it personal. I mean, Snow wasn't in Kingston to work with some young, upcoming white producer from Long Island, New York. He was surrounding himself with some of the island's most hardcore, sought-after talent. Veterans like Junior Reed, the former lead singer of the Grammy-winning reggae band Black Uhuru, now a hitmaker in his own right, with a successful studio and label, Then there was the unpredictable, lyrical king of the dance hall, Ninja Man, who Snow was fascinated by. I guess we all were. Ninja built his reputation as a lyrical killer, with the ability to build verses and improv songs right on the spot. Watching him cut down and humiliate his rival MCs was the highlight of stage shows and sound clashes for years on the island. But Ninja also had a dark and violent side his love for guns, an on-again, off-again addiction to crack cocaine, sporadically interrupted by periods of being a deeply devout, born-again Christian. It all made for a volatile mix. He seemed ready to explode at any time. 
together, you get Valentine. Yes, back around your mad friend of mine. Yeah, Miss Bellis, you want to carry one Valentine? Five pints, got line, five pints. Other than Snow's manager, David Eng, and background vocalist Ray Besora, who I'd eventually work with, no one at Mixing Lab Apartments paid me much mind. Ray was from New York, had an amazing voice and vocal range. He had aspirations for a solo career. He was too much an essential part of Snow's trademark sound for the label to let him succeed on his own. So they never gave him a chance. Then, of course, there was Too Tall. We had known each other for years. But in a city like Kingston, where people play their cards so close to the chest, how much can you really get to know anyone? I'd find out he was a much more complex and conflicted character than he ever let on. Which made sense. After all, his job was risking life and limb, protecting another person. I mean, what does a job like that even pay? Could it possibly be worth it? I had the utmost respect for Tutal's professionalism and loyalty to his client. But he was protecting someone who at times could be a spoiled rock star, act belligerent, and talk down to people. He may have liked Snow personally, but Tutal had only disdain and mistrust for management. And when he wanted to get away from the scene, make moves without the rest of the crew knowing what he did or where he went, he'd call me. You know, Enrique, you're all right. Yeah, thanks, Tutal. You're all right also. Let me give you some advice. Yeah, You better watch your back, brother. My back? What do you mean? I see those motherfuckers that roll with snow. Look, I, I know those guys. They're yeah. some cool dudes. Oh, I know record company and magic. They're all the same. So yeah. you better watch your back. Oh, me personally? Watch my back? You're joking, right? No, I mean it, man. You better watch okay. your back. You hear me? All right. Make sure. Brother, thank you for the advice. Good looking out for me. Hey, Henry, it's Slim up here in New York. What's going on? Slim, what's going on? How's everything down there? Yeah, everything's great. And that pretty girlfriend that you have that's so beautiful. See ya? She's good. She's really good. Thank you. Anyway, on a lighter note, Snow uh-huh. is really feeling one of your tracks. Oh, really? You may get a chance to produce a track on the record after all. Really? A track on the new record? We're going to be down there in a couple of weeks so we can discuss the details on the paperwork. Oh, that's so cool. I'm so ready. And you can take us back to that beautiful beach. Yeah, Hellshire. Hellshire Beach. Oh, my treat. Lobsters, fish, you got it. Okay, see you soon. One of reggae's many hardworking, yet lesser-known soldiers is a soulful singer with a rich textured voice that hails from the island's second city, Montego Bay, performing under the name White Mice, Alan Crichton, earned his stripes singing with some of Jamaica's top sound systems, like Sugar Minot's Youth Man Promotions and Jammy's High Power. Throughout the 80s, his dub plates and 45s rocked Kingston street dances and were featured on the ubiquitous reggae mixtapes that migrated from Jamaica to the rest of the world. Locked and loaded in Sony Walkmans, stashed away in the backpacks of adventurous tourists, and neatly packed away in suitcases like comfort food for Jamaicans ready to start a new life in strange lands. One of those mixtapes 
found its way to the projects of Toronto, Canada, and landed in the cassette deck of troubled teen Darren O'Brien. And when he heard the obscure reggae track, Time Longer Than Rope, Darren connected to the positive zen-like lyrics and White Mice's haunting melody, straining to break free from the captivity of the bass-heavy digital one-drop rhythm. White Mice sings, Nothing ever done before it's time. Just relax your mind. Just wait, just wait, just wait. Good things will come your way. And true to his words, good things were indeed about to come his way. Alan Crichton, PKA White Mice, was about to get a feature on Snow's new album, the hottest reggae project in town. And not only as a singer, but as a songwriter. For a struggling artist, that was like winning lotto. And for me getting the chance to produce the track, that was also a big break. Maybe a little closer to winning a scratch-off, but a win nonetheless. The only problem? I couldn't cash that ticket just yet. Snow was recording tracks with Jamaican producers by the dozens, and only a few were going to make the final cut. So the next time that management and the label came to town, I invited them for an outing out at Helsher Beach. There was no better place to discuss business with the sound of the Caribbean surf as a backdrop and the smell of fresh-caught lobsters frying in rootsy beachside food shacks. And for good measure, I would bring my girlfriend Sia along. Having an authentic Jamaican voice there to lobby my cause could only help out, right? Or so I thought. Slim was a tall, thin white guy from the label in New York in his mid-30s, one of Snow's handlers at the record company. He happened to be at the right place, at the right time, when the unlikely Canadian reggae star struck gold. Having done just about none of the legwork and taken most of the credit, Slim was now enjoying his promotion as A&R director for the label, which stands for Artists and Repertoire. And he took every opportunity to flaunt his newly acquired position and remind everyone who was the baddest white guy in town wherever he was, and that was including here in Kingston, a title I was happy to cede. Having grown up on the south shore of Long Island, I spent my lifetime around many different versions of Slim over the years and developed a natural immunity to most strains of his type of BS. However, Sia was Jamaican to the core and, shall I say, had a little less tolerance for it. On the way to the beach... Slim gushed over photos he took out from his wallet of his wife and kids that were taken at his nephew's bar mitzvah just a few weeks earlier. But I guess that Haftorah portion was the furthest thing from his mind once we arrived at Hilshire. Because upon spotting a group of local high school girls swimming and enjoying a day off, Slim moved in quick. Oh, goddammit, would you take a look at that fucking view? Like a great white ready to pounce on his prey. Look at that fucking view, those girls. Holy shit, they're amazing. Okay, hold on there, hotshot. You got all day. I'll catch up with you guys in a minute. I got something to take care of. So much for my hopes of getting any business discussed. Slim's mind was on a different kind of work. And Sia? She wasn't happy at all. 
She just watched as he showered those teens with nonstop platters of lobster and fresh tropical fruit punches. I tried to dismiss it as just careless flirting by a thirsty old guy just trying to have a fun day. But Sia wasn't having it, especially when he got back in the car and started boasting about getting the girl's phone number and what was going to happen later at the hotel. Oh boy, he picked the wrong girl. Well, I got all the digits. It's going to be a fun after party tonight, boys. Slim, what you doing with that number? Them girls are little. Them just pitney. Them just school kids. What the fuck are you talking about, Sia? Yeah, Sia, calm down. Those are, those are high school girls. Maybe college. No. No, Henry. Those are not high school girls. Those are well, kids. kind of look like they could be older. Slim, give me that number now. Please. I'm not giving you any fucking number. This is a joke, man. No, I'm not joking. Slim, give me that number. I'm serious. Henry, you better control your woman here. No, Henry, no, you, you think I'm going to forget about wanna, this? You don't control who? No, no. Who do you think Ooh. it is? I mean, you guys are a bunch of fucking puritans. Give me that number right now. Or tonight, make have some police show up at your hotel and drag you to jail. Okay? You're crazy. Really? You're serious. Are you okay? You're crazy, Sia. Are you all right? Henry, tell him me serious, serious. I don't know what you're doing to yourself. You're screwing yourself. Come on, man. What? Oh, what? I'll never work in this town again? Come on, man. Really? You think I'm going to forget about Aren't this? Aren't you married and have kids? What are you talking about? Give me the number. Yeah, Slim. Yeah. I think you better give her the number. All right, take the frickin' number. Slim begrudgingly handed over that phone number. But he didn't like it. Especially when Sia ripped it up and threw it out the window. I watched the torn paper float away in the rearview mirror. And when we dropped Slim off at the Pegasus Hotel in New Kingston... He got out without saying anything. Not a single word. And I never heard from him or the record company again. When Snow, the label, and Entourage finally left Jamaica after eight months of recording, it kind of felt like scorched earth was left behind. Like the way the big agricultural and mineral companies storm onto the island, pay the very minimum for the country's abundant natural resources, strip mine the earth and lay it bare. Then they make the bulk share of the profits, taking the products back home and selling them for top dollar. So too did the record company get the very best that Jamaica had to offer. Their producers, musicians, singers, all the latest musical styles and production techniques videos with the hottest choreographers and dancers. In a way, an entire genre was used as a stage prop to advance the career of one man. I guess it was a way to prove that Snow was authentic, that he wasn't a fluke or a novelty act. But in the end, they could never replicate that success of the pop smash hit Informer. Maybe coming to Jamaica backfired, like they were overcompensating or trying too hard. I mean, the lead single for the album had no less than half a dozen of Jamaica's top singers and DJs making guest appearances on this song. Sure, that may be great for local success, but for a mainstream audience, it was just overkill. Like Grandpa Joe taking three Viagra and then ending up in the emergency room. And that's a shame, because believe me, for all his faults, Snow was and will always be a great singer and did so much to introduce the genres of reggae and dancehall to a whole new generation of young fans. His music and art 
came from a place of adversity and hardship, unlike so many of today's reggae artists and performers. He just didn't realize, until it was too late, that he trusted the wrong people. And those he thought were working with him were really just working for themselves. Like many of his predecessors in reggae, Snow would eventually learn the hard way. When you no longer serve your purpose, when you're no longer needed, when you become a liability more than an asset, they drop you with no second thoughts, no matter how many millions of records you've sold. I had heard when Snow was really down and out, battling alcoholism and personal demons, those people he made fortunes for were all happy to help him out. But only if he sold them off what little rights he had left to his own music. Snow's much-anticipated follow-up album, recorded in Kingston, was finally released, titled Murder Love. After a song on the album that I've listened to many times and still can't figure out what it's about. Although Snow is quoted as saying it has something to do with peace in Ireland, the best that I can tell in what would be a typical record company move, they insisted that Snow record the track Murder Love because the Jamaican dancehall duo Shaka Demas and Pliers had a monster hit with a song called Murder She Wrote just a couple of years prior a song that was still bubbling. And I'm guessing the label wanted to piggyback off the name of that song. Although it had been years since I heard from the label, I still held out hope, and I rushed to the store to buy that album when it came out. Maybe the song I produced ended up on the final mix. It was one of the tightest tracks that Snow recorded while in Kingston, and I personally loved it. I gazed at the cover and then turned it around slowly, like I was checking a Wonka bar for a golden ticket. I covered the song titles with my hand and slid it down, revealing each track one by one on the record, until... There it was. Time, featuring White Mice. I'd made the album. Well, sort of. The song made the album. It's just I didn't. They scrubbed my music from the track and my name from the record and just remixed the vocals on a different beat, gave the credit to another producer. At the time, I was heartbroken, but just like White Mice said in that song, time, time, time is longer than rope and time, 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 don't take it for a joke. I may have lost an album credit, but as it turns out, not much money. The album didn't even sell enough units to recoup its exorbitant recording costs. You see, all those months of living the high life at Mixing Lab, it did have a price. And all that effort to fight off the novelty act, one-hit wonder moniker, that too was in vain. As comedian Jim Carrey's savage parody of Informer, called Imposter, has probably become just as memorable as the original song. By far for me, the most memorable moment having anything to do with Snow or his time in Jamaica was that day at Hellshire Beach. Witnessing Sia own that little record company Punk Slim. I'll never forget that dumbfounded expression on his face when she pulled the wife and kids card. Classic. And in doing so, Sia stood up for her country. 
For her fellow Jamaicans, she wasn't going to let anyone come into her house and take advantage or disrespect her people. And if only the island's politicians and leaders had that kind of courage. Looking back, I always wondered, what would have happened if she wasn't there that day? Would I have had the moral conviction to do the same thing? To stand up and fight against something I knew was wrong? Even at the risk of losing my big break, a chance to be on a hit record? Well, thanks to Sia, I'll never know. Nation.com. Listen to back episodes of the podcast. Stream original music. Check out the latest fashions. RootslandNation.com. We're your culture.